Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Positively Trek, your weekly dose of Star Trek news and episode reviews. I'm just one of your hosts, Dan Gunther, and with me, of course, is Bruce Gibson. Bruce, are you ready to talk some Star Trek Discovery today? I am, because I'm very curious to hear your thoughts on this episode. We have not discussed anything offline. I have no idea your thoughts on this, so I'm very curious. Yeah, the way we record this is uh, we record it fairly early on Saturday morning, and we don't get the episode here until late Friday night. So I finally watched it last night, and uh, yeah, so we haven't discussed it at all. We don't know how either one of us feels about this episode, so this is going to be interesting. But before we get to the episode, of course, we have our Star Trek news that we talk about each week. We have a couple things we want to talk about this week. First of all, a new Star Trek video game coming out, as well as a special on Amazon Prime, interestingly enough, that is related to Star Trek as well. And we'll get to that. But first, we have the Star Trek Resurgence Video games. I enlisted because I didn't want to wait years just to get out and see the galaxy. I wanted to go somewhere, see new worlds, look up at a sky no one's ever seen before. It's been a dream of mine since before I can remember. So I would be honored to become a captain someday. We need to learn everything we can. You're not going to die. Not if I have anything to say about it. This can't be right. Time to impact one minute. Jara, I need you to do the right thing. The fate of the negotiations, the interests of the Federation, and the prospect for peace very well depend on it. So Bruce, what are your thoughts on this? Because this is pretty interesting. I'm pretty excited about this. I See, I don't play a whole lot of video games because I just don't have time. And then when I see something mm-hmm. like this come out, I'm like, oh, I want to do this. And then I'm like, yeah, realistically, <laughs> that's probably not going to happen. I mean, more than likely, because I do have an Xbox One, and this will play on that, more than likely I will probably get this, but I guarantee you I'll barely get a chance to play it much. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I never seem to have any time. But this video game looks interesting. It's a little bit of a different type of video game than we've gotten recently for Star Trek. Of course, Star Trek Online continues to be strong, and that's going on. But uh, this one is described as a third-person choice-driven adventure game, and it's developed by Dramatic Labs. It's set post-Voyager in the year 2380, right after the TNG movies. So this is interesting. It doesn't seem to have a lot of like multiplayer type stuff. It's very much a story-driven type game. And uh, yeah, like you said, it's going to be coming out on Xbox One. Xbox Series XS, PlayStation 4, and PlayStation 5 consoles, uh, as well as for the PC. So that is most likely how I would play it if uh, I get a chance. I don't have any of those consoles, but I do have a PC. So uh, I hmm, I don't know. I Again, like you, I just don't seem to have a lot of time, but I'm really interested in this. Well, the problem I have with video games is it really sucks you in. You know, it's like, I don't know how many mm. times I sit down and play a video game and I look at the clock and I'm like, oh my gosh, two hours just went by. I, you know, like it just, time goes by so fast. And so I don't feel like I've gotten all that far through a game, even though two hours just went by. And, and so, yeah, I, I don't get a whole lot of time. 
this looks interesting to me because you are serving, you're kind of playing two characters. One's a first officer, one's an engineering, and you're solving a sinister mystery about uh, these two alien civilizations on the brink of war, it says. So, I mean, it's something I do want to, okay, you know what? Let me back up. Someone has told me, actually several people have told me, if I don't have time to watch it, watch gameplay like on Twitch or YouTube or something and <laughs> just watch somebody else play it, you know? And But more likely I will buy it. But it looks good. The problem I had though when I first saw the trailer is I saw the Star Wars Eclipse trailer for their video game, which looks freaking incredible like a movie. And then I saw this one, and so this looked really weak compared to that. Yeah, well, because you have to look at the Star Wars Eclipse trailer. I mean, it really looked like some people who I I saw online online didn't know it was a trailer to a game. They thought it was a movie that was coming Mm -hmm. out. That's funny because I had kind of the opposite reaction because... Like, I liked this trailer because it shows you the actual gameplay and stuff. And the Star Wars trailer, I still have no idea what the heck that's well, about. Well, that's a good point. Yes. <laughs> like, no, I'm you're right. Like, it looks cool, but, like, I don't get it. This one, I get a real feel for how it plays and what the story is and stuff. So, I don't, I don't know. I personally thought this trailer was a lot more interesting to me anyway. The Star Wars one is beautiful, though, for sure. Yeah, I guess I'm just saying visually when I got to this one, it just kind of looked flat because it doesn't look as, you know, heavy graphical like that that other one. But, I mean, yes, you're right. It, it does show you more of the gameplay. And this is more of a game that I would like to do. I would like to go on this Starfleet adventure, solving a mystery, working on a starship with crew people. And yes, there's a very high probability I will get it, but a low probability I will play much of it. (laughs) Well, they are saying that it is uh, targeted for a spring 2022 release, and that's coming up fast. So uh, this is interesting that we haven't heard anything about it up to now, but we'll uh, definitely keep an eye on this. And hopefully one of us might get a chance to play it at some point and kind of share our thoughts on it. But uh, we do also have a second story, Bruce, that you put here in the notes, and we're going to be talking about Shatner in space on (laughs) Amazon Prime. Yes, pigs in space. Oh, no, Shatner in space. (laughs) So, yeah, as most everyone knows that uh, William Shatner did go up into space through Blue Origin last October And they made a documentary out of it. I think it's just an hour-long documentary. And it will be on Amazon Prime starting on December 15th. And that will be in the U.S., Canada, the U.K., Australia, and New Zealand on the 15th. So I plan to watch this. I mean, first of all, I'm interested in space and Shatner going up and the whole process that's involved. I mean, I'm expecting to see the whole process of what they do to prepare to take into space onto Blue Origin. So, yeah, I think it should be good. And William Shatner tweeted, you may think you know where this is going, but you might be wrong. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what that could mean. Interesting. So, yeah. Are yeah. you going to watch it? Uh, I, I'm not sure. I I seem to have very little time these days, but I'm very curious to hear your thoughts on it. <laughs> well, I will let you know. I still haven't finished watching the Center Seat documentary. I haven't subscribed to uh, History Vault yet. It's it's on the plans to happen. I just haven't done it yet. So I've got to watch those. I've got to watch Discovery. I got to watch Shatner in Space. I got to watch my budget at some point. <laughs> just keep going. <laughs> Yeah, there's uh, two more episodes of The Center Seat on Crave now. So there's four episodes up there uh, as of this week. And I'm I'm too behind now. <laughs> I didn't watch last week's and I haven't watched this week's yet. So I'm slowly slipping behind. And I'm still curious if those other episodes will appear on Crave or if they'll be exclusive to the History Channel's service, uh, their their streaming service here in Canada as well. Yeah, and I'm curious to know just even how things play out for other Star Trek properties with the Paramount Plus app going more international and moving all the properties to there because I don't remember where I read it, but there's a recent article that was stating how, you know, that's that's the ultimate plan is to get the Star Trek properties onto Paramount Plus everywhere. So mm-hmm. eventually, Dan, it may be three years from now, but you may have to be a Paramount Plus subscriber to watch new Star Trek. 
Yeah, I might just be. I'm curious to see the wording of the contract between Paramount or or CBS and Bell Media, because I know their contract with Netflix said that Star Trek Discovery and its spinoffs would be on Netflix. And then, of course, now that contract is is ended. But that makes me wonder about Strange New Worlds. Was the contract worded the same with Bell Media? And how long is that contract for? So is Strange New Worlds going to be on Paramount Plus in Canada? Or is it going to be on Crave because maybe that's a clause in the thing? Because it is a spinoff of Star Trek Discovery Season 2. So I don't know. But wait, Pike was part of the original series and Discovery's a spinoff really from that. And then this is a spinoff from Dis- It's come full circle. I'm so confused. It's like timey-wimey mm-hmm. stuff, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But I, but that also made me wonder about Section 31 and why we haven't been getting any new information about Section 31. And that may be because that would be a spinoff of Discovery and they wanted to end the relationship with Netflix before they did anything with Section 31. So maybe we'll start hearing more about it. Maybe, yeah. They did still say that they want to keep all of that on hold while they have five five series in production. So I don't expect we'll hear much on that until... I still think Picard's going to be the first one to end its run. I, I have a feeling that three seasons will be the end for Picard. And then maybe Section 31. So that might be closer than we think, too. You're right. Well, with that, let's move on to our thoughts on the latest episode of Star Trek Discovery. All is possible right after this brief break. Thank you to you, our listeners, for supporting Positively Trek and to especially our patrons on Patreon. If you would like to contribute to Positively Trek and be a patron on Patreon, visit patreon.com slash positively track you'll get perks like early access to episodes and bonus content and for those who are in the higher levels you get shout outs and associate producer credits and much more and speaking of shout outs let's give a shout out to carl morris joyce Marin, jim stoffel dave garcia rick young paul d kinnear and john blaber thank you all for your support now let's go back to the show so i always thought that i was doing this for me but then when I got the pips, all of a sudden I realized, like, my mom is 900 years in the past. She's never going to see me wear them. And I started wondering if this is what I really wanted or if I just really want it to be seen. So we're four episodes in to season four of Star Trek Discovery. Season four, episode four, All is Possible. And... I got to say, there were some mixed emotions and and feelings brought up by this episode because this is a big one. I, and I feel like season four just keeps getting better and better. Am I alone in that or are you feeling that as well? I am feeling that as well. I thought the same thing after because I said last week that episode three was my favorite of the season. And Mm -hmm. then I watched this episode. I was like, oh, now I think this is my favorite of the season. But then I thought back to past seasons where I would get into that same rhythm where every new episode was like, oh, now I think I like this one even better. (laughs) I don't know, because it's fresh and new. It's almost like a whole season needs to play out. And I've seen them all and then go back and rewatch them and really evaluate where I would rank them. But yeah, I, I think this will hold as one of my favorite episodes. And this is too early, but I'm doing it now. One of my favorite episodes, my favorite episode of the season, and maybe one of my favorite of the whole series. Interesting. Yeah, I I feel the same. And I don't think it's just new episode energy, like having just watched it. I think this is genuinely a really strong episode and my favorite of the season so far as well. And maybe one of the top episodes of Discovery for me as well. So... Uh, there we go. There's our discussion. Thank you all so much for listening. No, you I'm can just find, Follow me on Twitter at. <laughs> exactly. No, we're we're gonna we're gonna pick through this, but our our opinions seem to be fairly aligned so far. But uh, I want to talk about the whole ABC plot thing because that's something that I've been noticing more and more in this episode and the last one is we get very strong three parts of the plot, which isn't brand new per se, but it is something I'm noticing more and more that 
you know, they're they're getting a little bit more of uh, screen time for for th- different crew members in one episode and less of a focus on one main story. So what did you think about that and how that worked in this episode? Well, I mean, I think it worked well. I liked it because we are getting those multiple storylines in an episode that are character focused and not so much big epic events happening. But it also is a comfort too, because that's something we're used to in a lot of the Star Trek series from next generation on is having an A plot and a B plot. And this one's got, of course, an A, B and C, as you mentioned. So there's a, there's a familiar format to that for us as Star Trek fans. And so it's nice to return to that. Not every episode has to be that way for me, but it was great to have that that type of storytelling because I've missed some of that. You know, that's one thing I I liked about some of the previous series is you're kind of following the main storyline and then there's some other sub storyline happening. And so we've got a lot of more quiet moments here, more dialogue between characters. And so I can see where this may not appeal to some people, but for me, it's something I really enjoy. Yeah, I really like that as well. Uh, the focus on more characters than just kind of one main story. And it really gives a lot of people in this cast a chance to shine a bit that, you know, maybe would get relegated to the background of another story or something like that. So let's talk about, I, I think this is probably the C plot. It's probably the smallest part of the episode. And we'll start there and kind of get into the bigger ones later, but I did want to talk a bit about Book and Culber and his kind of counseling sessions with the ship's counselor, as we've found out, and kind of this whole healing from trauma, because Book, of course, made a big step last week in his recovery, but he's not all the way there. And as Culber says, it'll take a long ass time, as he says, and it's it's never going to be a full recovery. This He's always going to take this with him. But I really enjoyed these scenes and it took me a little while to figure out what was so interesting about these scenes to me. And I think part of it is the fact that it's two men dealing with these issues, which, you know, I think is great to see. It's not the stereotypical way you'd see this, you know, Culber's not counselor Deanna Troy, you know, this kind of feminine caring figure, but he is very much a caring figure. And these two men kind of dealing with these issues and bearing their souls to each other. I thought that was really interesting and a really great representation of, of that sort of necessary healing between two people. I thought that was wonderful. I hadn't thought about that. That's a good point. I, I like how you said that. We're, yeah, just seeing these two men going through this counseling session. What I really enjoyed about the approach to this episode and to this subplot is that Book's trauma isn't over. Because in the mm-hmm. last episode, he reached a point of somewhat of some acceptance and learning that he has to just go through his grief and to keep his memories, keep revisiting this. And he seemed to be getting more at peace. And it's not just like, okay, the episode over is over and book is fine. Right. Mm -hmm. It's not that easy. This is going to take a long time to get over and to deal with. And so seeing that even though he reached a certain level Last episode, he still has to work through it. It's just not that easy. And then what I really enjoyed this, and as I'm watching this, I kept thinking about Colbert because I thought, well, he's had a traumatic Mm -hmm. experience in his time, and we haven't really revisited that. And I thought, who does he go for counseling? And then later in the episode, Book turns it around to Colbert. And Colbert yeah. says he's not ready to discuss it yet. And I thought, oh, my God, this is what I was just thinking about earlier. What about him? Like, the healer also needs healing. And mm-hmm. that's true in life, too. And I love the fact that now we may see that these two are going to be the support systems for each other. Yeah, that was a huge moment for me. There's so much good stuff in this part of the story. And... One of the things for me was Wilson Cruz's acting and David Ajala's acting. Like it, it has to be said, both of these two were, were terrific. But Culber's got this 
confidence to him when he's helping book and, and leading him to where book needs to be. And then in that moment, when book turns it around on him, his facade kind of cracks a little bit and you see, yeah, Culver's hurting and book says, do you want to talk about it? And Culver says someday. And that's where it's left. And you can see there's so much behind that, the look in his eyes. And it's just, it's hard to describe just how much depth there is there, but it, that was a really incredible moment for sure. Yeah, because the healing doesn't always heal. Yeah, it takes a long time, if ever, mm-hmm. to heal. And I, I love that we're just not forgetting those things that happen. We're not resolving them in an episode and the character's fine the next week. You know, we're, yeah. we're sticking with that. Yeah, and, and if this were older Star Trek, and this isn't a criticism, that's just the format of the show, you know, there'd be like a big cathartic moment like in last week's episode, and then things would be seemingly fine going forward because that's not the kind of show those were. It was just, you know, a, a, an episodic thing, not a serialized thing. You know, Picard gets in a fight with his brother and has a breakdown and they hug and Picard's fine now, you know until first contact, I guess. But with this, it's a much more realistic look at what that grieving process is like and what a lot of people are going through and have gone through throughout the history of humankind, right? So I really appreciate that, that it's it's showing that, yeah, you can have these moments that make things better, but that's not a, it's not a magic wand. You know, it's not just like, oh, everything's fine now. I find these episodes, especially this one, therapeutic, you know, it's yes, there's there's things and you watch in these and, and you can relate to something in some way. It may not be exactly the same, but it's an it's close enough. It reminds me of those things about Star Trek that I liked where I can examine myself afterwards and learn something about that and how I need to handle something internally and externally, you know, and I that that's important. Yeah, I can totally see myself going through something and thinking, well, that's kind of what Tilly was feeling in this episode, or or that's how Book was reacting in this episode. And I just need to remember that, you know, there's things I can do to make things better and, and decisions I can make that can kind of uh, help that along. And, and to have these as guideposts or role models, that's that's powerful. And that's terrific. You know, Star Trek in my life has always been kind of something I look to for a model for behavior and and that sort of thing. And I love that that continues in Discovery now. And, you know, I said this once before, Discovery is the Little House in the Prairie of Star Trek for me because, (laughs) I mean, there's something about Little House in the Prairie, just almost any episode will get me choked up. And, I mean... Even in this episode, same thing. I was wearing the hoodie I'm wearing now as we're recording, and I had to reach over and bring the hood around to wipe my eyes. No. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and I know people sometimes joke like, oh, yeah, Discovery. That All they do is cry on that show. Well, you know, not every Star Trek series, Lower Decks, Prodigy, Picard, is that way. That's just the style of the show. It's, And that's why I say it's the little house of Star Trek. I like it. Yeah, I'm on board. So that's awesome. Well, let's talk about what I think is probably the B plot of the episode, although it's a very important part of the episode and very big for things going forward. We've got negotiations between Navarre and the Federation for the reentry of Navarre, formerly Vulcan back into the Federation. And we find out that discovery is still in orbit of Navarre from last week's episode And they're in the final stages of these negotiations between President Tarina of Navarre and President Rillick of the Federation. And for some reason, President Rillick has asked Saru and Burnham to attend this final meeting because Admiral Vance has gotten sick, apparently, with some sort of intestinal worm. So, (laughs) interesting. But uh, yeah, they're there and witnessing this kind of final historic occasion. But Tarina drops the bomb that the Vulcans, or sorry, the Navarans want a clause added, an amendment added, which allows them to unilaterally leave the Federation at a moment's notice kind of things. And this is unacceptable to 
Tarina's base, basically. And the negotiations look like they're poised to fall apart. But Burnham and Saru kind of managed to get in there. Uh, what did you think of this storyline and, and the kind of more high politics look at the world rather than, you know, just from the lower level that we get before? It's interesting because of the politics, right? It's not just the simple, you know, Navarre and the Federation want to join. There's And even those who are leading that charge have to answer to other people. It's not as black and white as you hope it could be. And I would tell people that when you watch this episode, you come to find that out as it plays out. If you watch it again, watch how the camera stays on certain characters There's, mm-hmm. and watch the eyes of these characters communicating to Burnham and Saru. You pick up on some of that as you're watching it, but now you know where it's going. And when you rewatch yeah. it, it really stands out. Yeah, Tarina talking to Saru. If only there were some sort of compromise that we could... It's like, that's exaggerated, but it was pretty close to that. Yeah, And Rillick does it a lot too. Like when uh, she's talking to Burnham and even at the very end, just she gets one more in there when she says, Navarre has said that they would be unwilling to accept this unless a citizen of Navarre was on the committee. (laughs) (laughs) And Burnham's like, ah, got it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's fun to watch the second time, I think, for that reason. Because now you really, you know, and it's, it really stands out even more. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, it turns out that President Ehrlich wanted Saru and Burnham there because as, as Burnham says, they're there to kind of cut through all of this and, you know, there's political theater going on, but they can kind of navigate this a little better and, and present options and that kind of thing. So yeah, the final solution is this committee that would kind of review the membership of any member world, not just Navarre and because Burnham is a citizen of Navarre and a citizen of the Federation. And I think at this time, probably the only one, I don't think there are any Vulcans or Romulans in Starfleet that we've seen at all. So Burnham is unique in this situation. She's the only one who's a citizen of both. So she can kind of be that uniting force. I thought that was a pretty elegant solution. I like that. It is. And there's more to it. And that's one thing. This is one thing I wanted to mention, not just about this episode, but prior ones and to some criticism that some people will say about, you know, Burnham's always saving the galaxy, you know, that sort of thing. First of all, I can so see a scene like this with, okay, picture Burnham and Saru. I love the shots of them standing, you know, at the Mm -hmm. head of the table at certain times or being the focus of that room. Two captains. And I'm like, I can see Captain Kirk and Captain Spock, you know, from oh, the absolutely. Yeah. standing there dealing with the same type of situation. So this isn't just a Burnham thing. I can definitely see Kirk and Spock standing there or even, you know, Picard and Riker or whoever else. Right. Mm-hmm. But the unique situation in this is that this crew, Burnham, Saru and the Discovery crew are from 900 years in the past. When the Federation was at its prime, when it's in their top working conditions, the people who are part of the Federation and those who are non-members don't know what a fully operating at top level Federation is like. They Mm -hmm. never grew up in a time where the Federation existed to the way that we know and this crew knows about the Federation. So if anybody should be inspiring and helping to guide the formation of a Federation, are the people who actually lived in a thriving federation. So not mm-hmm. only does she represent Navarre from being from that homeworld and the federation by being a member of the federation, but she existed in a universe where those two were combined, did have a partnership, and were thriving. And she's the only one in the room, her and Saru, that knows what that's like. And so they have to be the guide, just like we see later with Tilly. Yeah. With the, with the cadets. And I think back to a conversation you and I had last week or the week before where we were talking about how it'd be nice to see our crew really kind of struggling still to fit in. 
And what I realized is what the series is trying to show us is they're not struggling to fit in. The current universe is struggling to fit in. And this is the crew that can bring stability to them. And so that really stood out to me in this episode. Yeah. And and I love that that gets directly referenced. We get, you know, Saru talking about his past on Kaminar and stuff and and how the future is different. You know, they're together now and they want to bring that idea to the Federation as well, because in the past they were together and now they're apart. And so bringing it together like that. And then, like you said, Kovic with Tilly at the end, his speech basically saying like, yeah, we saw you people and you were all buddy, buddy and together. And you were from a galaxy where anything was possible. And you know, that really ticked us off (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, basically is what he says. I love that. And, you know, but they do have a lot to teach this, this future. And because yeah, like you said, they're trying to remake the Federation as it was, but they don't have anybody that experienced that. They don't know what that's like. And now they have living examples, living guides for that kind of life and, and what is possible, you know, and yeah. I love that. Yeah, they're a fish out of water, but are thrown back in the water to teach the other fish how to swim. I like that. That's beautiful. The other thing I wanted to say is just with the the focus on politics that's my favorite Star Trek. Like, I love Star Trek, but when it gets to this high-level political stuff, I just, I eat that up. You know, the Articles of the Federation novel, for example, or any time, you know, Enterprise got into the creating of the Coalition in Season 4 and, and the different races coming together. In Deep Space Nine, we had the Klingons and the Kittimer Accords and them leaving and coming back. Like, all of that political stuff is where I just, like, ooh, I get excited about Star Trek. So this whole story with Navarre and the Federation and all of that, I was just, you know, the little backroom things, the little politicians looking at each other and nodding or shaking their heads. I'm like, I want, I want stories about all of that. Like that looks so much fun. I don't know. Politics isn't for everyone, but politics in the fictional universe of Star Trek, I am all for, I would eat that up. <laughs> I'm glad you said it that way. Cause that's how I feel. I, I don't really care much for politics, but in the Star Trek universe, I really do enjoy it or any other fictional universe for the most part. But yeah, I can see some parallels to this, to Archer, you know, and the coalition mm-hmm. and helping to bring groups together or even Cisco with, you know, Bajor, getting the Bajorans and the Federation maybe get to a place of, you know, bringing unity between them and then even with the Cardassians and such. I do enjoy that. And I, and I like that about this episode. And again, that it's not just an easy have a meeting. I Just think about it. You know, Vulcan was one of the founding members. So you would think if the Federation is going to reform again in this manner that Vulcan would just go along with it or Navarre now would go along with it. And it's it's not that easy. And it wasn't. And I'm so glad they didn't go with this trope of, well, they want to join, but the Romulan side of the Vulcan house <laughs> doesn't want to, you know, they're all one people now, you know? So it wasn't yeah. like the Vulcan is having a problem with the joining, you know? It, th- there's no identity of who's Vulcan, who's Romulan, or who's a mix or whatever. They're all Navarans. Mm-hmm. I did like that. And the emphasis on that in this episode where Burnham says they were apart for so many millennia, they'd forgotten they were the same species. And I love that that's spelled out. They're not Vulcans and Romulans they're they're all navarans and i mean there's there's still some like ethnic lines because like last season we got the vulcans the romulans and the romulo vulcans like there there's some mixing but they're still kind of apart so in that way there's like different kind of racial groups or that sort of thing but they're still all one species and i love that that was emphasized here and pointed out so that was that was a good point And then I see here in your notes about some budding romance. Yes. So last season, people kind of picked up on a bit of chemistry between President Tarina and Saru. And they seem to have gone with that this season. And I love that, 
you know, it's not like spelled out as a romance, but there seems to be some interest there on both parties with uh, kind of spending some quality time together. And, you know, when President Tarina asks Saru if he'd like to join her for tea, Burnham's kind of making the eyes there going like, oh, <laughs> so I, yeah, there's something there. I think that's excellent. And I, I'm curious if that was kind of built in from when they first met last season, or if it's kind of a reaction to the fans saying like, oh, I think there's some chemistry there. They look really good together. They kind of flirted with each other a little bit and the writer's going, interesting, let's go with that. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know why they went down that road. If it was a reaction to fans, or they just picked up on past seasons. I, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I guess I'm just wondering: Are they going to play out that storyline, or just leave those little hints like there that there's some attraction between the two? Like, are we going to see Tarina come out of Saru's quarters at some point? <laughs> you know, I don't know how they're going to play that. But I, I, I don't know. I think. I don't know why they went that route. That It's interesting to me. I guess I'm just trying to figure out why they're going to go there. I mean, what is that going to do for Saru's character? You know, maybe it gets him more involved in politics. That could be too. Yeah, because he's a captain and first officer, officer of discovery. So presumably he's not going to remain in that position forever. Maybe not past this season. I don't know. But yeah, I'm curious to see maybe he gets more involved in politics. He seems very statesmanlike, right? Like he feels very official. And I think that might be a really interesting role for him. The other thing that was going through my mind through all of this was in the summer, we had the Star Trek Las Vegas convention and the actor who plays President Turina, I remember was uh, not going to appear for some of her scheduled days in Vegas because she got called back to the Discovery set to do some extra shots and extra stuff towards the end of the filming of the season, or even after they said filming had wrapped, they shot some extra stuff with her. So I'm wondering, this is my, my conspiracy theory brain, like, ooh, did they add a romantic subplot and brought her back for some extra scenes to do with that. I mean, who knows? It could be anything, but that kind of popped into my head during this. I was like, Ooh, she's got some more involvement. We do know that, <laughs> but is it because of the Saru relationship? That would be interesting. Could be. They had to do a scene in the hollow suite, you know, <laughs> between the two of them. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> as, as far as partners go, like, I, I feel like they, they'd be really interesting together because they're both very precise in how they carry themselves and, and very formal and the way they carry themselves, I, I feel like they match really well. And Saru would make a great partner for a Vulcan, I think, or a Navarin. So that's pretty cool. Well, let's move on to the A plot, because this is the big one. We're, of course, going to talk about this. We've got Sylvia Tilly and her mission to lead a bunch of cadets on a team building exercise. And this is kind of an extension of some of the feelings she's been having this season about not sure where she belongs and feeling uncomfortable and, and out of place. And Culber suggests her for this mission to lead these three cadets on this team building exercise, like I said. And she also takes Adira with her on this mission as well. So this is an interesting story and there's a lot here and we're going to pick it apart. But I guess early on we get kind of Tilly's awkwardness in leading this mission, which, you know, there's a lot of cringe stuff with Tilly where you feel like secondhand embarrassment for her. But I did love this bit where she's trying to get the cadets to get to know each other and and leading this mission. What did you think of Tilly in this new kind of leadership role? I thought this was great for her character because she has come so far, but she's still Tilly, right? She's still mm -hmm. the cadet, the ensign, who's now a lieutenant. Some might say bubbly. And bubbly, <laughs> <She> yes. <says. laughs> <laughs> and 
she still has an insecurity, but she's been put in certain situations where she's had to command and she's had to take leadership positions. So she's still on that line, you know, of being both. And so seeing her take a leadership role and meet with the cadets and try to bond with them and they're not responding and then feeling awkward about it. And then again, having to they take that authoritative tone later. We're doing this together. We're not splitting up. Like, listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. And that's some growth for her. You know, you can, mm-hmm. you get the sense that she's a little uncomfortable with it, but when it calls for time to do it, she's going to do it, you know, and she's, she's breaking down those walls of insecurity and showing the security that she does have. And Adira I loved even more in this episode. I'm I'm liking Adira more and more as time goes on because Adira's in that place too of, well, wait, I'm not a cadet. Why are you asking me to be doing something, you know, that I'm an ensign. I shouldn't be doing the cadet stuff. But Adira has to go through their path and growing. And there's some awkward moments and times where Adira has to step up and say, now I'm the leader. We all shoot now, you know? And so I see some parallels between Tilly and Adira. Absolutely, yeah. And that's another thing I noticed on a second watch is the the whole Adira in the role of a cadet rather than as Tilly's aide. Like at the beginning when Kovich says to Adira, why don't you go over there and introduce yourselves? You'll be on, on shuttle, whatever. And Adira leaves and Tilly says, I'm really glad that you allowed me to bring Adira. They've been having some difficulty with blah, blah, blah. And Kovic says, yes, all of the cadets have been blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh, they're already equating them with the cadets early on. And it shouldn't have been a surprise to me later because it was when I was watching it that Adira's kind of put with the cadets but oh early on those clues were there kind of like with the burnham saru story as well that if you're really paying attention to what they're what's being said you should know that adira is with the cadets group and not as in a leadership role with tilly so that was interesting i was like oh i didn't pick up on that one thing i picked up on in that scene that you're talking about adira being sent over to stand with the cadets i don't know if this is because of COVID or not, but the blocking of some of these scenes still looks like it has the six feet of distance. Mm, Gotcha. Yeah. So I was really starting to notice like, wow, they're really kind of standing apart or Adira's kind of standing behind Tilly in the scene instead of next to Tilly. And so just different things throughout the episode where I was picking up on, is that just blocking because it looks good in the shot or is that COVID related? Probably both, you know? Yeah, thinking back on it, I can see that now. Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about these cadets that Tilly is leading here. We have a human named Val Sasha. We have an Orion named Haral and a Tellarite named Gorev. And there's some interesting personalities here. They're very standoffish. As Sasha says, for example, she never met any non-human before joining Starfleet Academy. There's, of course, history between this particular Tellarite and his family and the Orion- and the Emerald Chain, of which the Orions are a part of. So there's some natural animosity there. I thought this was an interesting group to kind of have these different personalities with and different backgrounds. And you can tell what is on the minds of the writers as they're writing this season, because of course we've got the COVID stuff. We've got the, you know, big threat that we all have to unite to kind of get past. We've got trauma and grief and that sort of thing. And we've also got people from different backgrounds and cultures clashing and not being able to immediately find common ground with your fellow, in our case, our fellow human beings, but in in their case, fellow cadets, fellow sentient beings. And it's interesting that kind of exploration of there's racial prejudice. There's this kind of stuff that has been absent 
supposedly from within the Federation anyway, in the Star Trek universe for many, many years and is now back because of the situation caused by the burn. I thought that was an interesting thing for them to tackle in this episode. It really does represent where the state of things are at this time versus what we're used to in the Federation, because even Sasha had never met someone of a different species before. This is a a first for her. That whole idea of just taking a moment to not make the assumptions, but to get to know the person and communicate with them. And that Mm -hmm. is just basic kindness and respect, right? By just getting to know the person and not just looking at them and saying, well, they must be like this. That's the lesson, of course, Tilly is teaching them in this moment. And that's the lesson that's going to be taught throughout the Federation and members joining. So it's great to see it start at this level with the cadets because it's just representing the newness to them. But it's going to be newness to all because they're all not used to these situations of working together. Yeah, and I I appreciate that the kind of racial strife here comes with the Orion because the only difference between an Orion and a human is the skin color. So that's that's very allegorical, of course. And, you know, the Tellarite cadet can't see past the skin color, can't see past this to see the person underneath. And the experiences that he may have had that he can't appreciate because all he sees is the species and not, like I said, the actual person. And that that journey for them to appreciate each other and kind of come together as a team, I thought was uh, very well done. Yeah, because when the Tellarite looks at the Orion, the Orion represents the one thing that he relates to Orions to, which was a bad thing. Mm-hmm. But it just goes to show not all Orions are the same, right? Just because what, yeah, whether you're male or female or whatever your skin color is or whatever your planet you're from or whatever it is, it doesn't represent who you are. You know, you're not, not all this is like this. You have to get to know the individual because not all Orions are going to think the same and do the same things. And so, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just that basic teaching, which my gosh, people, we all need to listen to. I mean, if you Mm -hmm. don't understand this now, there's a problem, but to Sasha's, I want to call something out real quick with Sasha. I saw a tweet where someone said that the actress of Sasha looked like a character named Sasha from a uh, anime series called attack on titan and sasha in this is from the planet titan and so they think this was a call out to this character because if you do look up sasha blouse from attack on titan it's a very similar look this anime character looks like sasha that we see on discovery so I, i think this person may be right in their tweet that's interesting. I like that. One thing, and I meant to look this up, and I might do it right now. Were the the refugees last season in the in the episode "People of Earth" were they from the Moon of Titan as well? And if so, is she related? I'm I'm just. Oh, that's a good point. That sounds familiar. It could be. Yeah, I want to look this up just to see if. Yeah. Okay. So the uh, the. The people that show up in the episode People of Earth, they were from Titan as well. So that's cool. That's a nice little callback there that Sasha is from that group. She said they were, yeah, she mentioned that she was from a research colony on Titan. And that's where the people that show up in People of Earth were from as well when they think they're attacking Earth kind of thing. But they're actually humans as well so that's, that's cool. cool yeah i didn't know that that's that's interesting too since we're doing these little things in the same tweet thread the person who originally sent a tweet out was talking about a name drop the armstrong the ship that they're trying to call out to the captain is captain imahara i think that's how you pronounce it and grant imahara from Mythbusters, who oh, passed yeah. away and who was also in the Star Trek, I think it was Star Trek Continues, he played Sulu. It was one of those fan projects. But anyway, uh, they mm-hmm. thought, you know, that's a call out to him. So I'm, I'm sure Absolutely. that's it. So that, 
I just wanted to point that one out too. Oh, that's terrific. Yeah. I, I didn't catch that, but that's awesome. That's really cool. Okay, so we've got this mission and we've got, we can kind of get into the particulars of it, but it's, it's pretty action-y, you know, we've got the, the colony creature that's attracted to the EM radiation, so they have to shut everything down, they have to make it up to this ridge to be able to call the ship on their personal comms, and we've got this lightning that's threatening them, and this weird ice that threatens to you know trap adira kind of reminded me of the parasitic ice from last season of discovery Uh, you know some fun stuff some obstacles thrown in the way of the cadets that they have to kind of come together to be able to overcome and stuff that was fun but what it all means by the end is you know tilly is trying to keep all these cadets alive and she has to distract these creatures so that so that they can call the armstrong and get beamed out you know even though they lost a lieutenant and they had this rough experience she manages to keep everyone alive and they all come together and she has a really in the end kind of positive experience as weird as that sounds for kind of a tragic mission like this, but she learns a lot about herself and leadership. And Kovic says, you know, I can understand given your experience that an offer to be an instructor at the Academy might not fall on receptive ears, but it's there nonetheless. And Tilly's face in that moment where she's like, Oh, I love that moment. I love Mary Wiseman. You know, she's so good. I just, I want to, I've always wanted to hug Tilly. (laughs) Absolutely. Even more so in this episode. (laughs) Even though I met Mary Wiseman, there was no hugging because of COVID. Yeah. No. Unfortunate. I I do love her performance in this episode and, and past ones. It's really a joy to watch her. She's got so much range in her voice inflection and her mannerism. It's like, you know, what little acting I've done and studied, you know, there's a there's a habit where especially early people who are acting get a scene and they play it at this emotion, this one emotional level. And really, if you look at a lot of times when people talk about things, they get louder at certain points and they might get softer and they might get really angry and then they get really calm and so so there's always these flex flexations of emotions and speech patterns and things that go on in conversations and and she does that so well and and i all i really enjoy uh her performance and i hope to see more of it Mm -hmm. which is an interesting thing to say because we see that tilly is is struggling with her place on discovery and she has this great heart-to-heart with Burnham, which kind of recalls back to the days when they were roommates and those early days where Burnham was the mutineer who came aboard the ship. And and Tilly kind of comes to this realization that her goal of being a captain, you know, maybe that wasn't for her. Maybe that's not what she really wanted. And maybe that path needs to take a bit of a detour And she's really considering going back to the Academy to be an instructor. And I loved this scene with her and Burnham. I was getting a little misty eyed with this because of them and their friendship and all of this and her ultimate decision to leave discovery and go be an instructor at the Academy. And uh, I, I have really mixed feelings because I'm excited for the character development for her. As Tilly says, she'll still be on the show. She'll be back. And she remains a main cast member of Discovery is what she's said. But it sounds like she's not going to be around as much and might be gone for a few episodes or something. Hmm. I don't know. I don't. I'm not happy about that. (laughs) I mean, I'm not either i'd like to see her but if she's gone for a few episodes you know we just focus on some other characters for a while which will be great you know let's shift Mm -hmm. some of the focus and when that scene happened my wife said oh is tilly gone i'm like no and i hadn't heard anything but i just told her i was like no i I, she's still on the show because if she had left the series we would have heard about it by now 
right? I was just like, I don't think that she's left the series. And then, like you said, Mary's confirmed that, no, she hasn't left the show. She's still on. Sometimes when I see stuff like this happen in the show, I figure, oh, this actor had some other project that there was a conflict on. And so they kind of wrote the character out temporarily until they come back after their whatever project. For all we know, Mary's doing a movie or something else during, you know, when this is being filmed. I, who knows? But I think this is great growth for her character. I think I'm willing to not have some Tilly for a few episodes if this means we're going to do something new with her. Because that's the one thing that always kind of bothered me about Star Trek is you see these crew members serve on a ship for 10, 15, 20, 30 years, whatever it is, and their careers don't seem to go anywhere. And I'm like, I always in the back of my head think, oh, well, Sulu's back on the Enterprise, but he was on another mission that we didn't see. And Hora had some other command she was doing before she came back. And Riker's... Like, I always like try to think that there's things going off to the side that we don't know, that they're just not always in this one role. And we're seeing that now in Discovery, which I really like. But this whole conversation she's had with Burnham, yeah, it was the bonding between the two and why Tilly's path... You know, here we're talking about paths like we did last week, but, you know, she was living, going down a path that was related to something about her mother, right? And now her mother doesn't exist anymore, and that's why all of a sudden she realizes, oh, this might not be the right path because the reason I was taking it isn't a reason anymore. Yeah, I I just love Mary Wiseman. I just want to see her all the time. So I'm excited for the development for the character. Absolutely. I think that's a great path for the story to take. I guess I'm just selfish in that I want to see Tilly on screen all the time. Well, no, I I, (laughs) I do too. But I'll tell you this, you know, there's some people that are wondering, and I did too, is this playing into this Starfleet Academy series that we've been hearing about? Yeah, that was an interesting thought that I saw other people share as well. That's, that's, I don't know, you know. I would love even just to see a short trek episode of Tilly teaching a class or or leading a cadet mission or something. Yes. That would be so much fun. I want more short treks. <laughs> yes, me too. Absolutely. So the conspiracy theory minded me started thinking about Star Trek Discovery and I was like, do we lose a character in season in episode four of every season? <laughs> I was looking back and it's not quite, not quite. But season one, episode four, is The Butcher's Knife Cares Not for the Lamb's Cry, in which Landry was killed by the Tardigrade. Mm -hmm. Uh, Season two doesn't fit this pattern. But season three, and I thought it was episode four, but I just looked it up. It's actually episode five is when Nan leaves the show and we don't see her again. So I was just like season one and season three came into my mind. It was like, was that episode four as well? And it wasn't quite. So there's nothing really there, but, but it's close enough that it's, it's close early enough, enough yeah. in the season. Right. Yeah. And even if you went to season two, episode four is the one where Tilly disappears inside that like cocoon thing at the end of the episode. So, you know, she disappears, but she's obviously not off the show, but she's missing or something. So I don't know. I was just like, Hmm. But no, there's there's not enough there for a, a conspiracy theory of some kind. But Well, maybe you'll get more TIG. Yeah, and that's one thing I wanted to talk about as well, because uh, there was a recent interview as well where apparently they're trying to reassure us, TIG Notaro is coming soon. She'll be in Discovery soon. But uh, yeah, her absence has been felt. And we did know early on that she's in fewer episodes because of the she only traveled up to Canada for one set of filming and uh, didn't opt to travel again because of, of health concerns and COVID and all of that. So waiting patiently for some Jet Reno here, hopefully soon. I really miss her. She's awesome. We do know, of course, she is in the season and apparently coming soon. So, yeah. Yeah. We've seen pictures. We've seen her in the trailers. So, yeah, we know we're definitely getting her. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. That That's going to be fun. I love her character. A lot. Well, because her character's a lot like her. <laughs> yeah. She's a lot of fun. Well, anything we haven't talked about yet with this episode slash final thoughts slash ratings for All Is Possible. The one thing I want to say is, and I just have to get this off my chest, and it's so stupid that I can't even believe I'm bringing it up, but I am. 
and I know anybody listening to this isn't one of these types of people, but I try to avoid reading um, many comments about the episodes from people online, and I never really read comments on IMDb, but I happen to be on IMDb for this episode. And I just noticed that it had a score of like 4.2 out of 10 or something like that. Oh, and I wow. looked back at the past episode and it was about the same. And I was like, why are these scores so low? And I start reading the reviews and there's so many people that are putting reviews in there, giving this episode and the prior ones one out of 10. And it's the typical, this show sucks it, the writing is bad, blah, blah, blah. You know, all the stuff we've heard before. And I'm like, you know, if you give the show one out of 10 and you're still watching it, then you're a one out of 10. Cause why the hell are you wasting your time <laughs> watching something here, here. that is so bad? Even if I believe you, that's a one in a 10, I would be like, why are you watching it then? You know, mm-hmm. like I, if I thought it was a one out of 10, I wouldn't be watching it. And then I wouldn't be going on IMDb to talk about it. <laughs> like here, here. <laughs> I I just don't understand this passion to bash anything new of Star Trek and spending all the time to do that. Because, look, I've seen some bad TV, and if this episode was badly written and acted as they suggested, I would agree with that, or I'd eh, yeah, kind of see that. But this episode is not a 1 out of 10. I'm sorry. If you think this is mm-hmm. 1 out of 10, then you haven't seen much television. Yeah. No, the, the, the brigaders that, that go out and, and en masse do that just because, I don't know, they think they own Star Trek and this isn't fitting into their very precise box of what Star Trek should be, I guess. And, and the only reason I think they think that is because they don't have an open mind to how much Star Trek this is. And I'm sorry, this is classic Star Trek. This story is very much fitting in with what Star Trek is. So, you know, I don't, yeah, I, I'll never understand the minds of those people and uh, why they feel the need to crap all over something that other people love just because they, I don't know. Like you said, they're a one out of 10. There you go. <laughs> that's, that's the best way to put it. They're, they're the one out of 10. I know you are, but what am I? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe the rating is for themselves, not the show. I don't know. But one person said that they they actually liked Discovery or liked it for a while, but not like that. This was a filler episode that nothing happens in this episode. And I'm like, nothing happens in the episode to the point that the Internet is worried that Tilly's gone. (laughs) <laughs> yeah and navarre rejoins the federation right like that seems pretty big to me yeah like i i think people watch the trailer or something and they think the whole season is going to be about this anomaly that's threatening and any episode that doesn't feature this as a big threat that's gonna you know that's that doesn't count well that's not what the season is about that's not what discovery is about that's that's the like overarching thing that i'm sure is going to play in big in the last few episodes of the season but the show's about the characters and the federation and and how they're moving on from stuff this is not a filler episode a lot happens in this episode so yeah i i reject that argument as well yeah well anyway my opinions differ vastly from those. <laughs> and uh, I don't know if I have much more to say than what I've already said. I, I really did love this episode. It's one, it's one of my favorite episodes of the series. And yeah, just a lot of good character scenes. I like the pacing, which, by the way, I did read somebody say the pacing was so off, which I, again, don't agree with. <laughs> uh, just, yeah, I mean, there's so much about this that just felt like good star trek and it hit me you know right there (laughs) you know so i would give this episode i'm gonna say five out of five snowballs that tilly wanted to throw at the cadets (laughs) i like that that's funny because my rating is is somewhat similar Uh, i really enjoyed this episode i think like i've said already it's the top one of the season so far and the character work the acting, the high-level politics stuff, all of it comes together to be an episode full of stuff that I just loved. So uh, I I have a hard time 
with ratings these days because I feel like it's just like five out of five, five, five out of five. But this one is unabashedly uh, five out of five snow globes given as gifts by Tilly uh, as she leaves Discovery. Yes. Uh, hopefully to return soon. Tilly, I miss you already. <laughs> I love the shot of Adira looking out the window at Tilly leaving and Tilly looking back. I love that. Mm-hmm. That was beautiful. For sure. Well, we would love to hear your thoughts on this episode, dear listener. Please reach out to us, positivelytrek at gmail.com. Find our Positively Trek discussion group on Facebook where you can comment on this and any other episode we've done and lots of great discussions happening about all things Star Trek as well. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Kurtrats, that's K-E-R-T-R-A-T-S, youtube.com slash Productions. And Bruce, where can people find you? On Twitter at Admiral underscore Rex. That's Admiral with the underline Rex. And I'm also been on a couple of literary treks and Star Wars report podcast recently. And I'm really excited about our next episode, Talking Coda Book 3 with David Mack. Ooh, yes. I am deep into the editing on that episode, and it's it's an interesting one. I hope everybody enjoys it. But uh, in the meantime, thank you so much to our Patreon supporters for all of your help. I truly do appreciate it. We love everything you do for us here. Patreon.com slash Positively Trek if you would like to help out the show. And with that, we're done for another week. And we have another Discovery episode next week, of course. Uh, I'm sure we'll have lots to say about it. So until then, thank you all so much for listening. We'll see you next time. Stay positive. And don't be a one out of ten. They're in the final stages of these negotiations between President Tarina of the Federation. Nope. Between President Tarina of Navarre and President Rillick of the Federation. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.